are listening to Have You Ever Heard Of? A history podcast. You can support us by following us on Patreon, Twitter and Instagram at Have You Ever Pod. Hello, Katie. How's it going? Yeah, it's going really good. Uh, my brother got married yesterday, which was so much fun and awesome. I am glad I will now have other things to talk about. <laughs> very nice. And I'm very happy for them. They're off to Sweden for their honeymoon. Oh, that's a that's a, that's a cool place to go for a honeymoon. Regional. Yes. It's going to be Left really field. cool. One of the things that they really want to do is go to the ABBA Museum. Oh, really? So, yeah. No, my <laughs> now sister-in-law is very into Eurovision. And Who isn't? There's a lot of Eurovision-y stuff surrounding that, obviously. So. How was the limo? There was wasn't a, a limo. There was no limo. No. We discussed the limo last time, and I can't remember That's why. That's because I was in a limo for a different wedding. Oh, okay then. Yeah. No limo, because there wasn't a location change. So it was oh, okay. the church, and it was the hall that was attached to the church. Fair enough, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that would be that would be a pretty pointless limo ride. Yes, literally <laughs> on the corner. It was. I mean, like the limo would be too. The church. It's supposed to be too long, basically, for for the like the route. I guess. Yeah, it would have to have been in like in the corridor of the church. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a bit rude. And how about you? What have you been up to? Isn't that moving house? Yeah, I haven't moved oh my house God. yet. That's what we're you're like to do. in process. Yeah, yeah. It's a when is the moving date? Uh, next week, Saturday. <gasps> da, da, da. It's gonna be. I'm it's stressful gonna... moving house. Yeah. Actually, yeah. You're gonna like, get movers. Yeah, they're gonna do. I think they're gonna just pack everything up for us because we're lazy and awful. Yeah, it's gonna pay it's them the way to do, do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, except for like my extensive model kit collection, which is really delicate. That I'm packing up myself and I'm gonna yeah. take. If I don't you want trust us to them. take that in our car, we could <laughs> <laughs> like hold it in the back of our car. I think we're going to have a shark's car, but yeah, I'm going to do it all by car. I think my mum's coming up, so I'm just going to put it all on her lap. Be like, make sure it doesn't like bounce in too much. Hmm. So yeah. Tiger mum is just oh, there yes. like protecting it's your model my, my model with her life. <laughs> what are mum's for? That's what they're for, right? Protecting your <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, why don't you tell me about your thing? I will tell you about my thing. So, I'm doing a person, original cool. remake, because that's what we're doing now. That's oh, how we roll. last time you didn't ask me, when we were just recording, you didn't ask me, have I ever heard of? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, that's how we're meant to do it. Okay, then, right. Let's do it that way. Okay, cool. So, have you ever heard of Deborah Sampson? I have not, No. That's going to be a wild ride. As okay, let's do it. I love it. So, Deborah Sanson was born on the 17th of December, 1760, in Plymouth, Massachusetts, to Jonathan Sampson and Deborah Bradford, one of seven children. Seven. Seven. Why? Because, I mean, 1700s, right? Exactly. I mean, but so they can like, help do the work. <laughs> that's the time when people had no money. 
So yeah. the answer so was to have even children. more children. Mm-hmm. Madness. But I mean, like these guys should have money. Deborah's mother was the great granddaughter of William Bradford, the first governor of Plymouth Colony. She was like from quite a distinguished family. Okay. Well, then maybe because women didn't do anything else with their but, time. But despite their links to such prominent American family, the Sampson still struggled financially. Evidence uh. suggests that her father, Jonathan, was a bit of a deadbeat. Uh, I'm not really entirely sure what he did. I did try and look it up. I can find it. Uh, but I'm guessing it was something to do with shipping. Because uh, basically the family were told that Jonathan died in a shipwreck. Oh, they were told When that. he was like young. But then it was later revealed that he actually just abandoned his family and moved himself right, to yeah. Maine to be with his other family consisting oh. of common law wife Martha and their two children. Nine children. You can't even support your seven children. Why have you got two other children? Maybe Jonathan? he was like, oh, seven's too many. Shit, I should have stopped at two. I'm going to try again. <laughs> Jonathan, you deadbeat. <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. It seems the seven kids he couldn't afford wasn't enough for this stand-up gentleman. Uh, so this happened when Deborah was only about five. And unsurprisingly, since the 1700s, her impoverished mother struggled to provide for her large family. So she sent them to live with just various friends and relatives. Right, like, that does happen. Yeah, common practice in, in 18th century New England. So, so shortly after sending her children away, the mother died, leaving Deborah effectively just parentless. So first, oh. Deborah was sent to live with the widow of a local reverend, Mary Prince Thatcher, a woman who... At that time, was in her 80s. In her 80s right. in, like, the 1700s. Just don't That's pretty your... good going, though. I know, it's impressive. To get to her 80s. But don't send a tiny child to live with someone in their no. 80s. Anytime, <laughs> not even now. Let alone in the 1700s. <laughs> uh, here it's believed Deborah first learned to read. Most likely oh, by reading Bible verses to the ailing oh. Thatcher. Just like mm-hmm. little bedtime stories to the old because that's basically isn't it it's a circle you start off as a child and you're just helpless and then people read you bedtime stories and then you like live and then you get really old and then you're just helpless again and people just read you bedtime stories again that's what we've got to look forward to big three three i'm three (laughs) years closer to it than you (laughs) but never mind uh anyway uh but I it, guess listening to podcasts is kind of like listening to bedtime stories. That is true. Like so. some people do listen to them to get them to if you know, sleep. So it's help. just another part of the cycle. This is true. So if we're helping anyone ease into the grave, then you're welcome. <laughs> uh, <into> the grave. <laughs> yeah, the other end, right of the of the cycle. Sleep. Yes, yeah, grave. The temporary grave of sleep. Okay. Uh, of course, reaching your 80s was an almost impossible feat in the 1700s, so it's unsurprising that Thatcher didn't last too long. And so, upon <laughs> Thatcher's death, Deborah soon found herself moved on to a new family, this time the Jeremiah Thomas family in Middlesbrough. But not here. Okay, like You're American not this Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, where she worked as an indentured servant from 1770 to 1778. Okay, so she's like still quite young. Yeah, yeah. It's just like cooking, cleaning, yep. taking care of those other kids, Standard. that sort of stuff. Uh, although she was treated relatively well for an indentured servant, uh, yeah. she wasn't educated as a conservative. Thomas didn't believe in the education of women. 
However, Deborah could already read. She managed to fashion herself an education of sorts by learning from Thomas's sons who shared their schoolwork with her. Something tells me Thomas's sons just weren't doing their own homework. That's yeah, what's happening. Sharing here. my schoolwork. Sharing. No. In inverted commas. Yeah. Uh, and apparently this method of stolen education was successful. So much so that when her term of indentured servitude ended on her 18th birthday, she was able to get employment as a teacher. Wow. So like an autodidact, it seems. She managed well, to teach herself sort of... to be a teacher. She was some sort of teacher lull that year. <laughs> <laughs> so Samson made a living by teaching uh, school during the summer sessions in 1779 and 1780. But that's not all. Deborah seems to have developed quite a talent for carpentry. Which at this time, and still actually, I think, was very much a male profession. Mm-hmm. She's said to have been quite a talented toolmaker, as well as producing milk stools and winter sleds, which all boosted her earnings. But despite her many talents, she seems to still have struggled financially. And having seen what happened to her family, it's likely she craved a more steady income. Easier said than done when you're a woman in the 1700s. And Mm -hmm. so, she decided her best bet was to dress like a man and join the Continental Army. (gasps) Oh, she did. I was wondering where this was going. (laughs) Because at this time, the Revolutionary War was raging and the fledgling Mm -hmm. United States was in desperate need of soldiers. Yes, they were. Now, Deborah is described in most sources as being around five foot nine to six foot. So, at this time, the average woman was around five foot while the average man was around five foot six. So Deborah was tall. Yeah, she, she was, tall was fucking tall. For a person <laughs> in general. Her biographer, Herman Mann, who knew her personally for many years, implied that she was not thin, writing in 1797. Easy, this guy's a great friend. That her waist <laughs> might have displeased a coquette, which a coquette <laughs> basically means a flirter. Oh, yeah. A flirter. <laughs> Oh, I'm so displeased with your waist. (laughs) Man also describes her breasts as very small, easily hidden beneath her uniform when bound with linen. He also describes the features of her face as regular, but not what a physiognomist would term as beautiful. What's a physiognomist? I don't know. Let's have a look. Is is that someone who studies beauty? A person supposedly able to judge character firmly predict the future from facial characteristics. Oh, right. Well, that's specific. Yeah, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, well, just a lovely description of your friend there. Well done, man. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> I wish you were my friend. Uh, <laughs> and so with her physical attributes all lined up, she made her first attempt to join the forces in early 1782 when she tried to sign up to an army unit in Mizra. Massachusetts, under the name of Timothy Thayer. So, reportedly, she collected a bonus, but then failed to meet up with the company as scheduled. When she didn't show, a commander tried to hunt her down, soon discovering that Samson had been recognised by a local resident when signing her enlistment papers. The nosy neighbour promptly gave her away. So, she then had to repay the unspent portion of her bonus, but wasn't reprimanded further. So, basically, she was, like, stopped. Prevented from, yeah. like, joining the forces because okay. she hadn't found out. But undeterred, Deborah again listed in May of the same year, this time under the name Robert Shirtliff, which okay. some sources say was the name of, like, one of her deceased brothers, though that doesn't seem correct because her surname wasn't Shirtliff. 
Yeah. Unless he took the name of like the family he was sent to. Maybe. I suppose. Maybe. Uh, so this second attempt was very much more successful than the first because she wasn't just accepted into the army, but into the army, one of the army's most elite units, the Light Infantry Company of the Ooh. 4th Massachusetts Regiment. So to be inducted into the Light Infantry, soldiers had to meet specific requirements. They needed to be a height of at least 5'5", five five, tick. They mm-hmm. had to be physically able to keep fast and steady marching pace. Uh, and they were referred to as light infantry because they travelled with fewer supplies and took part in small, risky missions and skirmishes. So, I mean, like, basically just having to survive on very little food for long times. So, where many men had failed, Deborah succeeded. And because she joined an elite unit, Samson's disguise was more likely to succeed since no one was likely to look for a woman amongst soldiers who were specially chosen for their above-average size, superior physical abilities. Yes. So a good place to hide in bright plain sight. And since Deborah found herself serving in a vanguard unit, her military service was hardly light. Samson spent most of her time in the army in the lower Hudson River Valley region of New York, which was known as neutral ground. So I suppose that in modern parlance, neutral ground would be referred to as no man's land. Hmm. So it's that. Unclaimed between British-held New York City and American-held northern New York. The neutral ground was apparently a lawless land filled with both patriots and loyalist raiders who terrorised the local residents. So whilst having her, she was assigned to a number of dangerous missions. In one, she was tasked with scouting neutral territory to assess British strength in Manhattan, which George Washington was thinking of attacking at that time. In June 1782, Samson and two sergeants led about 30 infantrymen on an expedition that ended in a particularly violent skirmish which uh, degenerated into one-on-one close combat, so desperate like bayonet fighting. So during the fighting, Deborah received a gash from a sword on her forehead, which covered her left side in blood. Mm. Uh, when the smoke had cleared and the battle subsided, she also discovered that she'd been shot twice in her left thigh just below the groin. Not a good place to be shot. No. I'm going to... Not for anyone. I don't, no. That's not where no I Unless someone who is, you know... Trying to hide something. If like if someone asked me like where do you want to get shot, that's the that's not where I'd say. That's the place <laughs> I'd say. So she begged her fellow soldiers not to take her to the doctor out out of fear that her sex would be discovered. But one put her put her on his horse and took her to the hospital anyway. A doctor treated her head wound, but she left the hospital before he could attend to her leg. Warmed afterwards, I think must be one of the most badass moments of badassery I've ever read. <laughs> because what she did is she stowed herself away in an outhouse where she proceeded to remove one of the balls herself with a pen knife and Ooh. a sewing needle. Ooh. Unfortunately, the other bullet was too deep in her for her to reach. So she just simply sewed it in. Ooh. So yeah, she carried that. That ball in her leg for the rest of her life. Nasty. Uh, But before it could completely heal, she was pronounced fit enough to rejoin the army. Luckily, she was assigned to nursing a sick soldier in her private home, giving her leg a little more time to recover. Unknowingly, she was placed in the house of a loyalist called Abraham Van Tassel. So this pantomime English bad guy, twisting his little (laughs) moustache... Consigned her and the ill-private Richard Snow to a stuffy attic room 
made hot by the August sun, which no doubt hastened the young private's demise. Determined to avenge Snow, with the help of Van Tassel's patriot daughter, Deborah led a night raid on his house, capturing 15 loyalist soldiers. So, she's pretty good. She's a pretty good soldier, really. Yeah. On the 1st of April, 1783, she was reassigned to new duties. Uh, da, 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 da. So she was basically like, removed from the ranks, thankfully, with her like bad leg, and served as a waiter to General John Patterson, commander of the 1st Massachusetts Brigade. So she was basically like a Batman. Mm. Like an adjutant. So after this, although hostilities had ceased, Deborah was given one last mission when troops were sent to Philadelphia to quell a protest by disgruntled soldiers. By the time Deborah had arrived, the mutiny was over, but she fell, she fell victim to an epidemic stalking the city streets. Oh no. She contracted a fever and, despite a protest, was, after losing consciousness, carried to the local hospital. So for over two years... Deborah's true sex had escaped detection. She had had close calls, fainting on the first march to West Point. She'd had to lie that she'd had smallpox when soldiers were being vaccinated in the winter of 1782. She'd frequently avoided bathing in the Hudson River with the rest of the troops. All this and more she had successfully navigated. However, she knew unconsciousness was her greatest danger because when she could not rely on her quick thinking to get out of trouble, she knew she'd be discovered. She also feared being in a hospital where she would be subjected to unwanted probing by the doctor. Hmm. Now, both things that she had dreaded most, even more than the prospect of death, had happened. He removed her clothes to treat her and discovered the cloth she used to bind her breasts. Uh-oh. Without revealing the discovery to army authorities, he took her to his house where his wife, daughters, and a female nurse cared for her and nursed her back to health. Upon oh. her recovery, Dr. Binney asked Sampson to deliver a note to General Patterson, who she'd been serving as a Batman. She correctly assumed that it would reveal her sex. But if you remember, Deborah had been a fantastic adjutant to this man. So the general looks favourably on her deception. In other cases, women who pretend to be men serve in the army were reprimanded, but Patterson gave her a discharge and a note with some words of advice, plus enough money to travel home. So she was honourably discharged at West Point, New York, by General Henry Knox on the 25th of October, 1783, after a year and a half of service. Oh, so it wasn't over two years, it was a year and a half. I don't know where I got that stat from. Hmm. It was a year and a half that she that she did. Okay. Pretty good going. And so with her military service over and her sex revealed, Deborah travelled home to Massachusetts. There she married Benjamin Gannett from Sharon and together they had three children, Earl, Polly and Patia. I think that's what they pronounce them. Or Pashia. One of the two. And for a good few years, Deborah's life was that Deborah's life after the army was most typical of a farmer's wife. That's until she decided to petition the US government for the money she was owed for service. Ha ha! So, in January 1792, Sanson petitioned the Massachusetts state legislature for pay that the army had withheld because she was a woman. The legislator granted her petition and, John, and Governor John Hancock signed it. Where with his John Hancock? That's where the name comes from, right? Huh? What? Like in America, they call like a signature, like the John, a John Hancock. 
Oh. So John Hancock signed John Hancock. Oh. I, I, find that, I find that quite funny. Anyway, awarding her £34. They had pounds back then, not dollars. That's interesting, isn't it? Anyway, £34 plus interest back to her 1783 discharge. So, victory number one. Following this, Samson began giving lectures about her world-time service. The first woman in the country to go on a lecture tour. So, as part of the one-woman show, she tongue-in-cheek extolled the virtues of traditional gender roles for women before leaving the stage and returning in her army uniform, then proceeding to perform a complicated and physically taxing military drill and ceremony routine. She then tell tales of her service in one of the US's most elite units, showing that women could do it too. She performed both to earn money and to justify her enlistment, but even with these speaking engagements, her husband and she were unable to fully pay all the family's expenses. She frequently had to borrow money from her family, and from her friend, revolutionary hero Paul Revere, because they all hang around together. All the revolutionary heroes are just buddies. Yeah, they just have like a, it's just like a club. club. Yeah, yeah badges and yeah, stuff. <laughs> Revere uh, believed that she had been treated unfairly. So he also wrote letters to the government officials on her behalf, requesting that she be awarded a, a pension for her military service and her wounds. In 1804, Revere wrote to the US representative William Eustacis, Eustaces? No, Eustace, of Massachusetts on Samson's behalf. He writes, I've been induced to inquire her situation and character since she quit the male habit and soldier's uniform for the more decent apparel of her own gender. Okay. Mm-hmm. Humility and justice obliges me to say that every person with whom I have conversed about her, and it is not just a few, Speak of her as a woman with handsome talents, good morals, and a dutiful wife and an affectionate parent. I mean, like, I don't know why that matters. Is, a, is like a good, like, imploring to give her her army money, but apparently that's sure that's that, yeah. that worked. On the eleventh of March, eighteen o five, Congress approved the request and placed Sampson on the Massachusetts invalid pension roll at the rate of four dollars a month. So now they switched to dollars; it's not pounds anymore. Yeah. I guess it took a while to change over. I don't know, but that seems like a long while. Yeah. I don't know. So Samson died of yellow fever on the 29th of April, 1827. She was buried at Rock Ridge Cemetery in Sharon, Massachusetts. Her husband, Benjamin, later positioned for pay as the spouse of a soldier. Although he was not married to Deborah at the time of her service, the committee concluded that the history of the revolution furnished no... Other similar example of female heroism, fidelity and courage, and he was awarded the money. But unfortunately, he died before he received a cent. Oh. So he should have got the money, goddammit. But mm. he just died before it arrived. And there you go. That is badass Deborah Sampson stroke. I've never heard of her before. Richard. Private shirtliff. Shirtliff, yeah. There we go. Oh. Interesting. So kind of like a, a Mulani figure that actually existed. Real one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Undis- Mulan did exist, probably. Yeah. Yeah. But this one is indisputable. Interesting. How did you hear about her? Uh, I came across her on another podcast, so I've just nicked it. Ah, classic. But I do my own research. I didn't just... I haven't listened to that podcast in ages. I just... Uh, you remembered. I remembered the name... 
But yeah, sometimes I see history puzzles of dumb people that we've done. So exactly. There's going to be tip over. tap. Yeah. It's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. There's only so many people in the world. <laughs> um. So it's Sunday. What are you doing this evening? I'm going to have some dinner and watch. I guess I'm going to watch probably like the closing ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. I've enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. I like sport. I just like having sport on in the background at all times. Not like football. Football annoys the shit out of me, but like athletics <laughs> and stuff. I like Olympics, Commonwealth Games, all that, all that jazz. All that stuff. Cool. How about you? Uh, probably going to have a takeaway, like a curry or something. Kind of got Very some nice. new Pokemon cards to sort out and put in my spreadsheet and put in my put in my folders. So. A nice Sunday sort of my organizing. Cards, yes. <laughs> um, and everybody else can subscribe wherever they're listening to this. Follow us on Patreon. You can follow us on Twitter, and you can follow us on Instagram. All at Have You Ever Pod. That's the one. And come back next time. Bye. Bye.